You are not what you think you are. Listen to me. What you think you are. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So it's not what you experience that gets you down. It's not what you experience. Say that. It's not what I experience that gets me down. It's how I interpret what I experience. That's what, that's what takes me. It, how I interpret it will either lift me up over or will take me down further. So it's all about interpretation. We'll show you from Philippians 1, starting with verse 12. We got some dream surveys here. I ran some off. So if you're looking for, to find it and you don't know where to find it, here's, here are some right here. I'll pass them around. If you're interested in uh, sharing your dream with us, fill this out. It'll take you a while, but it's a good process. And if you do that, then turn it in to us, turn it in to Bob, and our dream team will look at it. Philippians 1, beginning with verse 12. We're talking about turning losses into gains. We all experience loss. We experience a lot of loss. If we can learn how God wants us to turn them into gain, we're going to fly high. Your attitude determines your altitude. And I'll show you from the scripture what we're talking about, starting with verse 12. Here's Paul. Where is he? He landed in jail. Was that a good experience for him? It could have been a terrible experience. There's a lot of shame in being in jail. There was for Paul. There were friends of his that backed off from him because he was in jail. And so he told Timothy, don't be ashamed of me. Suffer with me for the gospel. Verse 12 of chapter 1 of Philippians. Hope you all got it. I want you to know, brethren, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He experienced something terrible. He was in prison. We don't know exactly what those prisons looked like. Some of them were deep and dark and 40 degrees no more. The second time he was there, he spoke about uh, asking for a cloak. So he may have spent his time in nonstop cold. Didn't have a good bed. We can be guaranteed of that. He had a terrible situation. And Paul's talking about getting thrown for a game. How is that possible? Is it possible that in the loss you experienced within the last month, that God wants to turn that around and it all, not 50%, 100% of it depends on your attitude, how you respond to it, how you look at it. Had Paul said, oh, bummer, what am I going to get out of here? and determined that this was going to be a difficult situation. Isn't that how we often respond to a, a flat tire, for instance? A flat tire can be a wonderful thing if your attitude is right. If your attitude stinks, it's going to stink. You're going to lose a friend. Your attitude is going to stink, that stinks. But if you say, God, you have a purpose in this. How do I know that? Did God send it? Did God send him to jail? What do you think? See, we don't, we don't, what? God allowed it. Either God did it or God allowed it. Either God did it or Satan did it or life did it. In any case, 
the response is the same. What does God do with evil? Does he always? That's right. If, if God will turn evil, God uses Satan to accomplish his own purposes. Satan to God is a convenient adversary who will be done away with at the appointed time. Until then, God chooses to use Satan for his own purposes. So Paul talks about this thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan. Did God use it? Absolutely God used it, because that's who God is. And God tells us, do not be overcome by evil. Was this evil? I think it was evil. It was unjust. He shouldn't have been in prison. He shouldn't have been there for a long time. He was there for a long time. So what happened? The whole Praetorian Guard, here's the gospel. Who's the Praetorian Guard? There are specially picked soldiers to guard the palace or provincial headquarters. So there are soldiers chosen. Hey, Caesar wants the palace protected. So he wants the very best to protect it from his enemy. So he's going to pick the best soldiers he can find. So they're chained to Paul for four or five hours at a crack. What does Paul talk about? How crummy it is in this prison? Does he complain? What do I do? Sometimes, when I'm thrown for a loss, I'll complain. Does that get me anywhere? I'll tell you where it gets me. It gets me lower. It gets me discouraged. It gets me depressed. Paul chose. He says, every, the whole Praetorian Guard and all the rest. How big is a Praetorian Guard? The whole Praetorian Guard is between nine and 10,000 soldiers. So he's not talking about 10 people hearing the gospel. Caesar wanted to make sure that he was safe, and so he put the best and a lot of them. And the gospel is going out, he says, to the whole Praetorian Guard. I don't know who all the rest is. I think they're all of Caesar's household, because Paul said in one of his letters, greet those who are in Caesar's household. What happened to them? They got converted. How'd they get converted? Because the guy chose to advance the gospel while he was chained. He was chained. The gospel was not. God is more concerned about what he can do in you than what happens to you. And if what happens to you, you are willing to say, God, either you chose to do this or you're letting it happen because you have something good that you're going to do in me. And I say, God, go ahead and do it. Go ahead and do it. I'm going to keep my attitude right. Like Zig Ziglar says, your attitude determines your altitude. You can fly high, or you can choose, when discouragement knocks at the door, to open the door. Anybody struggle with that? Easy. Easy discouragement. Come on in. Come on in. I, I'm choosing discouragement right now. That my imprisonment is for Christ, and to all the rest, now, I want you to notice the next thing. Let me, let me just say a couple more things about that. God is not as concerned about where he takes us as what he makes us. Now, God is concerned about where he takes us, but sometimes it's indifferent. Sometimes it doesn't matter where we're going, but it does matter what he's making us. His goal for us is to be like his son. Would Jesus have complained if he's thrown in prison? He was thrown in prison. 
think of all the people in Scripture that were thrown in prison, who was the longest? I'll give you a little quiz here. Who, who spent, of anybody in the Bible, who spent the most time in prison? Joseph. John spent some time on the Isle of Patmos. If you count that, you may be right. And Joseph spent probably 10 years. He was 17. He was 30 when he became prime minister. Most of the time was in prison, so we guessed maybe around 10 years in prison. While he was in prison, he majored in prison management and, and uh, positive attitude. He graduated summa cum summa. He was in prison, folks. What a crummy deal. What a stinking thing. Paul could have said, when do I get out of this stinking place? That's what we can say. I've said it. I've heard people say it. Fine, brother, sister. You're going to stay low rather than flying high. So look at the next part. This is all about a mindset. It, it's what happens right here. It's about how I think. So look at this next part. And most of the brethren have been made confident in the Lord because of my imprisonment. Oh my, not only did this affect Paul's ability to share the gospel, but what did it also affect? Pardon? How are you impacting the people near you? Straight on question. What kind of impact are you having at school, at work, at your home? What is it doing to people who are hearing your self-talk? I'll tell you what was happening to people. They're saying, hey, Paul's in this terrible prison and he's preaching the gospel. If he's in prison preaching the gospel, we ought to be doing it outside. And so they're preaching the gospel. Way to go, Paul. Anybody want to respond to hardship like that? I want to. I want to respond to hardship like Paul's responding to it. Now, he goes on. Some indeed, we're at verse 15, preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. So they're thinking, Paul's in prison. Let's, let's preach on his behalf. Let's share the good news. The former preached Christ out of partisanship, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. I don't get this. I don't quite understand how their preaching out of partisanship could, could afflict him. Anybody understand that? I don't know if they're making him jealous saying, hey, you're in prison, we shame you. We're not in prison, we're preaching the gospel where you preach it. Somehow they're trying to get at Paul. Do they get at him? Do you have people that are envious of you or that compete with you or that want to get at you? Do you give them the right to make you angry? Do you give them the right to irritate you? That's a choice. You choose in your mind. I choose in my mind. Yeah, Carol? Yeah. 
Yeah. Could easily been that. Yeah. So here's what Paul says. Well, in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and then I rejoice. We're looking at the mindset of a victor in Philippians 1. We're not looking at the mindset of a victim. It's easy for us when life turns south to take a mindset of a victim and say, What's going on? Why, why should this be happening to me? Why am I going through this? What, what, what's different about me? Is God angry with me? Why, why are these things going on this way? We're looking at the mindset of someone who says, I don't care. I am not going to allow it to take me down. I've shared recently with some of the leaders here, something I'll, I'm going to share with you. I shared it with our uh, goddaughter out in California because she, she is a gifted young lady and her response uh, really impressed me. She responded by saying, thank you. It was a strong word. It was a strong exhortation. I've seen the way she deals with other people and there's, there's a maturity about her. So I said, I challenge you to build an immunity discouragement that you will not give in to discouragement all of us do Paul did he said in, in 2 Corinthians that he even despaired of life there was a time when it really it discouraged him the Corinthian church discouraged him he didn't stay there and I said I, I urge you not to give in to discouragement so that you let it camp out with you. Because when you do, you will say stupid things, you'll do stupid things, and you'll wish you hadn't. And so I'm saying that to you. Look at your life. See how much time you spend in discouragement. If it's five minutes a month, okay. But if it's half time, you gotta listen to what I'm saying. Elijah, he was a mighty prophet who gave in to discouragement at a crazy time. He had just leveled the whole prophets of Baal, 450 of them. You'd have think he would have flying high. That would have, that would have stuck with him for a month. It didn't stick with him for a day. As soon as he heard a word from Jezebel, a threat on his life, a contract to kill him, he was running south, and he was suicidal, thinking, I want to die. Elijah, this mighty prophet, it can happen to any of us. I urge you not to give in to discouragement. It's how you respond to situations. It's not about the situation. In fact, it has nothing. Am I right in saying it has nothing to do with the situation? Okay. Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is portrayed. We're just getting a, a look at how Paul thinks. Look at verse 19 now. Yes, and I shall rejoice. Not only am I rejoicing now, but I shall rejoice. Why? Because I'm going to get out of this place. Here's what happens to us sometimes when we get discouraged. We say, we'd say something like, I'll be in this stinking place the rest of my life. I'm never going to get out of here. 
we say something stupid like, I'll never get out of this. I'll never get beyond this financial situation. I lost all this money. I'll never get over it. I'll never get over this. I'll never get a job. I'll never get a spouse. I'll never get this. And we say stupid things out of our discouragement that aren't true. The Lord is simply asking him to put our trust in him. Jesus marveled in two things. I've said it before. You've heard me say it. What did he marvel at in the Bible? It says he marveled. And there are two times he says it. What did he marvel at? He marveled at great faith. He saw this Canaanite woman, and he marveled. How does Jesus marvel? Oh, woman, great. I'd love to have Jesus say that about me. Oh, Paul, great is your faith. In a very difficult situation, she would not take no. She just powered through. It was persistence. Jesus called it faith. Great is your faith. He marveled at great faith and unbelief the lack of faith. He came into his hometown and he started preaching and it was going good for a while until they got in their faith and, and then they turned on him and he could do no mighty, it says he could do no mighty miracles there except he laid his hands on a few and they were healed. And it says, and he marveled at their unbelief. Now, which do you want Jesus to marvel at for you? Do you want him to marvel at your great faith or your unbelief? You got the choice. You can make it. You can be in a very difficult situation. People can feel sorry for you, and I'd feel sorry for you. But bottom line is, are you going to believe God, or are you going to take the discouraging route? Paul says, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers, listen to this, and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now, here's what sometimes happens when we get discouraged. We turn from faith to fate, F-A-T-E. And we say, well, here's a really stupid song. I'm going to look up. I don't know what the words mean, but it's a stupid song. I'm going to sing a line for it. Que sera, seri. Whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. Que sera, sera. That's a lie. First of all, the future is ours to see. By faith we see the future. And whatever will be, will not be. Because of cause and effect, because of Satan, because of life, we don't give in to fate. It's the will of the gods against which prayer means nothing. If whatever will be, will be, don't pray. Because it will be. It's predetermined and it's going to happen. I don't believe it. I believe that I have a partnership with God and together we determine something. He and I work together. We're partners. And so Paul says, I'm believing. I'm going to get out of here. Did he get out of there? He got up. Took him a while. While he's there, what did he do besides win the whole Praetorian Guard? You know what he did. What did he do? What did, what did Paul do while he was in prison? He, he wrote this one. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, while he was there in prison. We have something 2,000 years later because he didn't have a stinking attitude. Thank you, Paul. 
for having a positive outlook and giving us such a gift. You're going to give people gifts when you refuse to get down. Last time my car broke down was at North Heights. I was sitting outside. And I said, just so you know, God, this is a good time for this to happen. Because I've said what you've said before. What a crummy time to get a flat tire. Which is a dumb thing to say. When was it a good time? You know. <laughs> so I just wanted him to know that this isn't going to phase me. My son was, was concerned because something happened, a real conflict, a huge situation, not, not involving him, but he felt like he had a part to play. And he said, I'm really sorry, Dad. I said, just so you know, Israel, this doesn't phase me. It doesn't register on, on my negative scale. Why should it? You know, why should we take things on? Paul says, I know. See, he's believing in prayer. When things go south, somehow we stop believing in prayer. See, people pray, well, what's that going to do? As if prayer matters nothing. Does prayer matter? Prayer matters a great deal. Paul knew it. And so he wasn't falling prey to this attitude of faith, which we sometimes find ourselves in. It's up to the gods. It's not up to me. Nothing will change it. I guess I just have to walk through it. No, you're a victim. You don't need to, we don't need to act like that. Yes, and I shall rejoice. Way to go, Paul. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now, did he say this, this next time he's in prison? Second Timothy. He didn't. Here's what he said. My departure is near. I get emotional just thinking about that. And then he says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord will give to me on that day, and not only to me, but all those who have loved his appearance. His depart he called it a departure. He's, he's, he's embarking. He's going to heaven. And he knows it's near, so he doesn't pray. I know I'm going to get out. He didn't say that because he knew he wasn't. God made it clear to him. But he knew now he was, and he did. As is my, listen to this now. Here's, here's how he thinks. As is my eager expectation and hope that I shall not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is, die is gain. Is death a friend? Is death ever a friend in the Bible? American... 19th century American literature, American poetry turns death into a friend. Death is never a friend in the Bible. It is an enemy. And in fact, it's the last enemy to be destroyed. Revelation 21. Death will be destroyed and there will be no more death. Death is an enemy. Death came because of sin and the fall. We don't like death. We resist death. We come against death. And here is Paul, so much of a victor, that he says, it doesn't matter whether I die or live. And when you get to that point where that's not an issue, you will obey regardless. Here are three men in a fiery furnace. And the king is upping the ante. The thing is burning so much, it's so hot, 
that when they throw them in, what happens to the soldiers who throw them in? They're scorched. They smoke. And they go in, and they're walking around, and they see not three but four people. What did they say? They made the king so, so angry, they said, we just want you to know that we're not going to bow down. And the God whom we serve will deliver us. And then they add, what did they say? If he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down. So in other words, it's not an issue to them of life or death. It's the issue of serve or don't serve. It's the issue of obey or not obey. The issue for you is not whether you survive or not. Because if you're looking to survive, you're going to avoid those things that look like, well, this will be too risky. I can't do this because this is a risk. No, if it's a risk, it's a risk. Paul took lots of risks. Death was not the issue for him. Obedience was. He had such a mindset that you couldn't talk him out of things. Saying, you're going to die, man. And that's happening every day around the world. I started to pray for the persecuted church. God, forgive me for not. And I'm praying for them now. I'm praying that they'll stay strong. When they're, when they're told, you're going to watch your children get their heads cut off. I don't like that at all. I hate that. Those people don't know what they are. They're worshiping a God I don't want to worship. They're bowing down to somebody who's not worth bowing down to. And they're taking lives. So what if they threaten you? I hope it doesn't phase you. I said that's not the issue, whether I live or die. It's whether I follow Jesus or not follow Jesus. I will not turn my back on Jesus Christ because he didn't turn his back on me. If you live that way, see, what do you do to get Paul down? <laughs> what's going what's to work? What's going what's to confuse him? What's going to discourage him? What's going to make him turn his back on Christ? I don't think you can find it. Whether by life or by death, for me is live and to die, he just got thrown for a game. He, he, uh, he died. Where is he? Well, he's with Jesus, which is what he wants. He goes on to talk about, I really want to be with Jesus. I really want to go. But then he decides, because of you, I'm going to stick around. What a servant. He knows they need him. He knows that God's put an attitude in him. So it says, but to remain in the flesh, 24, is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with all for your progress and joy in the faith. <laughs> He's in prison now as he writing this. For your progress and joy. He's looking out for them. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. I'll be, I'll be seeing you again. I'll be out of here. They're not going to condemn me. Next time, he knew he was going to be condemned. One more thing. He encourages them to stand strong. Verse 27 through the end. <clears throat> and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear omen to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Look at verse 29. I don't have the NIV, but most of you probably have an NIV or, or somewhat similar. Read verse 29 out loud here. Yeah. So suffering for Paul 
was not a painful necessity, what was it? What an outlook. So he suffers, and it's an honor, it's a privilege, it's a gift. When Peter and John got arrested, and uh, the Sanhedrin didn't like what they said, because they said, you know, you've got to do what you've got to do. If you've got to arrest us, you've got to arrest us. Okay, we'll take that. We have to do what we have to do. You go ahead and arrest us. We're going to keep on preaching. (laughs) If you let us go, we're going to keep on preaching. Just so you know, you do what you have to do. We're going to do what we have to do. We cannot. We we would rather obey God than man. What do you do if you're an irate person? Well, you beat them. And then you you warn them as as they leave. What do they do as they're leaving? It says in uh, Acts 5, toward the end, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for his sake. What do you do? They'll they'll have to kill him now. So they're going to. They're going to kill Peter. They have him in in prison, and they're getting ready because Herod saw that when he killed James, it made the people happy. So they're going to kill Peter. There is an angel that's really good at jailbreaks that that got... got, uh, John and Peter before, so probably the same angel. I don't know. Maybe it's a different angel. Give him experience as well. So he goes to Peter. Peter thinks he's dreaming because the locks fall off. And he realizes, I'm awake. (laughs) And he just follows this angel. And when they get outside, the angel's gone. And he goes, and they didn't believe him. He came to the door. They didn't believe him. They were praying for him, and they didn't believe him. It's Peter. No, it's not Peter. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I thank God for this attitude. I just thank God. I really need that. Anybody else need this? Anybody else need an attitude that's of a victor and not a victim? That says, I don't care what they do to me. I don't care what happens to me. I don't care what I experience today. I don't, experience, I don't care what loss. I may experience heavy losses. And this isn't to say that we're cold and indifferent toward people. I'm very thankful for the way you guys were kind to my wife. That was horrendous. I'll tell you, those five hours when she did not have medication, they at the hospital, they don't understand what's going on. When I asked the doctor, he said, I wasn't called. He said, I don't know what was going on there. The anesthesiologist came in three times. and. And uh, finally, on the third time, he said, give her medication. Because they were afraid her heart rate, would, her heart blood pressure would go down. It was already low, 68 over 38. So they were, gonna, they were figuring that might. Finally, after five hours of horrendous, where she said, let me out of here. Uh, finally, they gave it to her, and her pain dissipated, low level. And her blood pressure didn't go down. Praise the Lord. We experience losses. We experience difficulties, financial, personal, relational, physical. Let me pray for you that in the midst of that, that something in our heart will toughen up. Father, forgive us 
where we open the door when discouragement knocks. And then we become a victim. We pity ourselves. We pity our situation. We think we're different from somebody else. And we wish that we're somewhere else. Or maybe even we've said, wish I'd die. We're sorry. Where we have shut you out. Where you wanted to turn that loss into a gain. Where you wanted to take that setback and turn it into events. We're sorry. Just in your own heart. Just acknowledge that. I acknowledge it. Even as I prepared this, I acknowledge how I've given in to discouragement. Father, we pray that you would allow us to be gripped by the words, these eternal words that were penned by a man in prison. In the midst of his brokenness, he was allowing you to do something wonderful. I pray that you'd teach it to these kids while they are young so that they don't have to miss out on you turning the losses to gain. Teach it to me in my age, Lord. Teach it to my friends here that we can walk in a way that glorifies you and that allows you to take every setback and turn it into a gain. Lord, bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and grant you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.